0: Welcome to Bandits Keep, I'm Daniel. This week I want to talk about a few subjects here. I even have notes, let me flip to my page. Uh, one of them is kind of the, uh, maybe they're all connected, who knows, is kind of the idea of the game itself, right? The the game that I'm creating, Unchained, evolving and how that process works. And I thought a good example happened this week when I was discussing with my players, we were playing the game, the invisibility spell. So invisibility in od and I don't have it in front of me, but basically it says that you are invisible until the magician or magic user chooses, basically, to not be invisible or they do some action, I think, or something happens like a dispel magic or something like that. And it also points out that in Chainmail, you can't, cannot attack and remain invisible. So in other words, which is pretty standard in all D&D. If you're invisible and you attack, you become visible. So what is an attack, right? So in some games, it specifically points out that if you cast a spell, you would become visible. But od you do not. And is a spell an attack? And how do we work that out? You know, we were just having this discussion, kind of working out what the wizard would be able to do, because they were planning on going into a space. And the concept came up of, you know, what is an attack, right? Because a lot of times in the more modern games, they really specify things out. In an ODnd it doesn't, right? So, for instance, if I say, well, you could cast a spell while you're invisible and you will remain invisible, could you cast a fireball? Was the question? And, uh, you know, of course, the first thought is you cast a fireball at a person. Well, that's clearly an attack, right? But what if you cast a fireball at, I don't know, a... a a copse of trees or a building or a stack of hay because you want to light it up, right? Is that an attack? Would you turn visible if you did that? And my answer to that was yes. And the reason why is because in chain mail, if we look at the magic user or the wizard, I should say in chain mail, it's called wizard, their attack is the fireball and the lightning bolt and or the lightning bolt. You know, you choose one or the other. Other spells are not attacks as strictly written in chainmail if you want to follow that type of uh, uh, thinking right so in theory you could cast darkness as a wizard and stay invisible but you could not attack you could not cast fireball you know some people might interpret any spell as being an attack in a war game <laughs> but you know my interpretation is not that and you know we discussed it we were thinking well you know that kind of makes sense. You know, and I, and I even said, you know what, with that line of thinking, I feel like you could even cast a sleep spell because a sleep spell is not the wizard's attack based on chain mail, which is what the invisibility spell is referring directly to. So, again, not that we need to be strict to follow the rules, but I think sometimes people feel like the rules aren't there because they're not looking for them. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that od is fairly clear about it. If a wizard casts Fireball or Lightning Bolt while invisible, they will become visible. If they attack with their dagger, they will become visible. You know, I would say if they throw rockets, I mean, if they attack somebody, they will become visible. If they cast a sleep spell, if they cast detect magic, if they cast conjure elemental on some level, I guess, they will not become visible. I think there's probably a handful of spells now and we'll have to adjudicate as we go, which was basically the, you know, the discussion that we had. And what I enjoy about this is that... At least maybe I just have a great group. I mean, I definitely have a great group, but these things never devolve into, because I was just talking to a friend of mine, they're playing at a game store and they're you know there's some other table that plays there every week too. And they're, they're constantly like pointing out things in the rules and, you know, kind of almost getting into shouting matches. And, you know, I never really had that happen. We just kind of all look at it and go, well, you know, what seems to make the most sense? And I feel like that is how the game developed. I could be wrong. I was not there. Maybe Arneson and Guy Cax were like, no, this is how it is. But when you think about some of like classic monsters and things like the Thief class and other things that were added to the game, a lot of those were just like people talking to the creators and suggesting things and then them being added. So the game was not just created by the people that originally wrote the books, right, but by the players And I think that's an important thing we need to remember when we're kind of developing our own games or playing games that are more rulings over rules, as they say, right? So the ruling doesn't need to be the rule of the GM. It could be the ruling of the table. What does the table decide? What do people believe that are sitting around the table? How does the game feel for your group? And then that becomes the rule. The second thing I want to mention, I want to make sure I bring this up. should have started with this, honestly. Uh, Joe Richter over at Hein Sightless was nice enough to put together an episode about accessibility i'd asked a question about that i think as we're developing games and more and more people are creating their own systems maybe i mean this has always been the way right but at least releasing them and sharing them i see lots of it on my discord server we should really be i believe we should really be thinking about this right we want as many people as possible To enjoy our games, our adventures, our settings, our whatever. And in order to do that, making things accessible is super important. And sometimes it's something that might seem like a little thing. Like I'll say that here, like the charts using rows and columns, as Joe talks about, you know, especially looking at my game as in its current state. It is full of rows and columns. And I suspect, although I have not checked it, I'm almost afraid to at this point, that if I use a screen reader, it will be absolutely unusable. So this is something I'm really considering as I'm revamping the game. And I think that if you're out there and you're creating things, whether they be, you know, adventures or PDFs or systems, you know, think about this stuff. Think about who might want to enjoy your product and try to make it in a way that they can enjoy it. So that's a little public service announcement. I think it's super important. And it's the kind of thing that we just, many of us, me, I'll just, I can only speak for myself, really don't think about. And we should. So there's that. So the third thing, which I'm kind of falling into here in my campaign, is that they've reached a little bit of a higher level. Right. They started off, they went into the dungeon. I mean, <laughs> the way my campaign's running, they're kind of plain, plane jumping. So they're not really going into the dungeon and out of the dungeon. It's not a mega dungeon campaign. But you know, they've been traveling through it. A lot of it was kind of survival and trying to get to a point because they had a bit of a quest, because some of them were cursed. And finally, they've kind of settled into what is a new civilization and they're exploring. And during this exploration process, they are playing. We've played four sessions, I think, maybe three, that they have not gained any experience points. They have not sought out any treasure. Because what they're doing is something they're interested in, right? They took a hook, basically. <laughs> these, uh, these children have gone missing. Who They rescued and became quite uh, the heroes in the one place that they were at. They spent some downtime developing spells and leveling up. And they decided to follow up on this. So they've now... And they had options. There was options. They knew that they could go back to where they had encountered trolls, where there was likely treasure there. They knew they had an entrance to the underworld, which of course was going to be full of treasure. They had a treasure map. (laughs) But they chose. Their characters chose to take this path. And right now, there's basically a lot of intrigue going on. And it's really fun. And it made me think that... I have a great... I know I say this a lot. But, you know, they're not just... And it's a level, and I know leveling is important, and people, especially people who come from systems where you gain a lot of stuff each level, right? Each level you get a feed or each level you get a class ability. The levels are goals, which they are for everybody, I guess. But at the same time, story is also the goal for a lot of groups, and I love that we're able to combine that. You know, even in right, OD&D where there's really no benefit to them. And I mean, I could and I'm tempted to say, well, let me give them some story XP or let me give them some milestone XP because they're doing great things. But you know what? I'm trying to play the game as close to the books as possible. Of course, I'm using Chainmail and my own you know, version of the combat. And so much of what I focused on was developing the combat system, obviously, and I'm just using the kind of the guts of OD&D, and really, there's a lot here, and we're having a lot of fun with it, and in the end, they will end up getting a bunch of treasure, I'm sure, when they finally, hopefully, <laughs> succeed in defeating this High Priest, there's going to be lots of loot, so they will get a big burst of treasure, which will help them. And maybe they'll choose to do some other adventures where where they can, you know, make some cash so they'll level up that way. But it's just really interesting to think how the game does indeed shift. Even if you're playing a game that isn't necessarily going to go into the we build castles and go into war games. I think as you get to higher levels, at least for me and in my experience, it becomes more fun to do these kind of wider quests that aren't necessarily make money in the moment. They're we're having a cool story that's being built and if it if it levels us up or not doesn't really matter as long as we're having a blast and our characters are getting cool items and stuff like that. So yeah, that's kind of what's going on. I'm really enjoying my campaign we we took a week off and then we came back and we're because um, I, I tend to not run if I don't have a large enough group and I've fallen away from the idea of playing anything online with this group even though we can because I just feel like we have more fun playing a person. So we we all kind of decided that if we can't play even if it's like over the Thanksgiving area we didn't play for like three weeks straight. We would just rather not play than play online because it just doesn't follow the same vibe, if you will. So that's where we're at. I'm really enjoying it. I'm, I'm thinking of, in fact, I'm going to spin up a, a od d campaign, hopefully by the end of this month. We'll see. This month's a little crazy for me. And I'm going to try to do it I mean, online, obviously. So I will let you know how that goes, too. I'm really, really, really enjoying this system. Oh, by the way, if you don't follow me on other social media or, or maybe I haven't posted it, I have uh, put in some games for Gen Con, some ODD games, and I've put in some game. And my games, you know, they've been approved, but they're obviously not scheduled yet. Gen Con's really far away. But GaryCon, my games have been approved and scheduled. You cannot buy tickets yet, I don't think. Well, in fact, I know you can't. Uh, I don't think you can until the end of the month. I'm not 100% sure about that. If I can figure that out really easily, I'll put it in the show notes here. Either way, I'll put a link to my... Uh, events so you can at least go see what I got going on there. I'm running six events. I'm running some OD&D. I'm running uh, some uh, like a, a miniatures game, Walking Dead, which is really, really fun. I've been playing it a lot solo and I made up a lot of my own scenarios for it. I'm running Gaslight. I'm running Star Frontiers. So, oh, and I'm running my my game that has become my convention standard for Gary Khan, where a first level party fights a dragon and I know that we've had a bunch of talk about that in the past. So, so if you're at Gary Con and you want to see if a first-level party can slay a dragon, come join my game. I do it on the Sunday, so it's the end of the convention. Everybody's kind of tired and excited, having played amazing games. And yeah, we slay a dragon. Speaking of slaying dragons, I got some... I don't know, that is not a very good segue because I have not listened to these messages yet. And they probably have nothing to do with dragons, but I got some calls from Jason.
1: Hey, Daniel, listening on the way to work. So as far as miniatures go... Yeah, that's. I'm kind of with you. I'm not a crafting guy. I'm not. I'm no good at painting miniatures or any of that. I've got a ton of miniatures I need to offload to somebody. Um, for I, I've got like fleets for Battlestar Galactica, and I've got a whole line of um, like '70s British thugs and cops and stuff. I've got all. I've got a whole line of ducks. I've got tons of miniatures, but I'm, I just don't use them and unpainted miniatures like. Uh, so. We've always just used dice or beads or pulled miniatures out of board games and used those. And so always use proxies. Um, and, and you know what? Pogs are just as good. You know, just the, like those top-down tokens with a picture on them. They're just as good. So I do like using the physical representation sometimes. And I think using that, um, it's not Dungeon Pizza. I know you're calling it Dungeon Pizza, but there's a name for it. Uh, I think Professor Dungeon Master over at Dungeon Craft might have been the one of the early people to use it, but RuneCraft, de- or RuneHammer definitely uses it. I, I don't know the background to it, but it is kind of cool. Um, anyway, but yeah, I'm kind of with, you know, minis. I'd like to use minis sometimes, but what I don't want to do is get sucked into VTTs on online games. <laughs> so, but I've done it in the past with, with just using Zoom, and because you can do a, a whiteboard, and just doing it with a whiteboard on Zoom where players can kind of move things around and all. So I, I think I can stay away from the evil VTT and still use tactical representation. I've done it before. I haven't done it a lot recently, but I may get back into doing that for some things. But, okay, let me listen to you talk about Dungeon 23.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on the VTT. I just... I find it to be a lot of work, and I know that they're great for some people, and some people really like them. And and I suppose, like many things, if you become very proficient with it, it, it's probably really fast and easy to use. I've just found it to be kind of clunky and not that useful because I really only need or want the actual physical representation sometimes. I've seen lots of great arguments about why minis are always good because you know where people are standing and this and that, but. I always find that I usually just ask the players and it works. I mean, nothing's perfect, right? But there's something about playing in person and having the miniatures is just fun. So I really feel like that's probably more like what it is, is I just like having the miniatures, (laughs) you know? uh, Yeah, I think, uh, right, Professor Dungeon Master, he calls it Ultimate Dungeon Terrain. And actually the the one that I've got on Etsy uh, was actually called that as well. So (laughs) I just, it looks like a pizza and I've heard people call it Dungeon Pizza. So I guess that's just what I do. Uh, It's pretty cool. I mean, again, I'm not using the zones because I don't use that. I actually use distances. I never understood why the zones were easier for people. I mean, I guess I do understand, but I didn't think it was that difficult to just know the distance personally. So I don't care about the squares, to be honest with you. I just got it because it was round and fit on the table and just seems simple. But uh, I think it's pretty good. So I, I do recommend... Uh, You can craft your own. Obviously, you could do anything. You know, part of me was going to just use a tape measure and ruler if I really cared about it and just use them literally for representation, which is what I've done in the past with dice. But those are also great ideas, right? The pogs and all those other things are great. I've made um, little miniatures out of Shrinky Dinks uh, for Star Frontiers, which I may end up using at GaryCon if I don't have time to to get actual miniatures ready for Star Frontiers. So if you're in my Star Frontiers game, you're probably going to be using Shrinky Dinks. So enjoy that.
1: (laughs) Hey, Daniel, Jason here. So Dungeon 23, yeah, I mean, you know what I'm doing. I'm using random generators. I'm going to go four months with each generator. I might do two weeks a level, though, so that way I get eight levels out of each dungeon generator. Um, I'm still kind of deciding if I'm going to do that. The thing that's killing me is because I want to be true to the generators, the hallways in the AD&D DMG, the hallways are killing me. <laughs> the passageways, because <laughs> it's like, go 30 feet. Oh, side passage, go 30 more feet. And so it's killing me, but I'm, I'll am i get it taken care of. As far as, really quickly, Dark Sun's comment, before you answer it, I'm just paused 11, 19, 11 minutes, 19 seconds in, talking about high-level parties and murder mysteries. We specifically tested that with Merp, Middle Earth Role Playing, we did we created 10th level characters and did a murder, murder mystery in um Gondor and it worked fine the high level characters did not ruin the murder mystery it just has to be set up right by the gm and thought about it a little bit ahead of time but we and i i played a magic user well a wizard and um you know used high level spells and all but we we still had to figure out what was going on and it was well done um, you know, part of that is you don't give them a body or you don't have the body can't give them the answers. I mean, there, there are ways to do it. And like I say, we tested that theory with a, a few years ago using merp and 10th level characters, which is really powerful. And um, it worked fine. So I think that's people say that, but I wonder if they've actually tried to run it and and, you, you know, put that theory into action. OK, let me listen to what you say in response to that.
0: So, yeah, that's a really great point. You need to, uh, I, I think, so I think part of the, the conversation, right? I, I love these anger conversations because they drift, right? And So we, if we go back to the original reason, I think, why Direct Sun called in about, and he mentioned Murder Mysteries was because he was saying just taking any adventure and running any party through it. And he was just looking for like, well, you know, maybe that's not always the case. Kind of uh, devil's advocate, I think, is was the point there. And, uh, you know, so that he was like, you know, if you have this murder mystery and you just throw a high level party at it, they might be able to just figure it out. You'd have to create or make adjustments for the party, which I think is going to be the case no matter what. Right. And yeah. So I agree with you. I think that, like I said, when my characters did the assassins, not they uh, they were high enough level that they could have had access to stuff. And actually they had they were friends with a wizard who was and actually what I ended up doing with that as I'm remembering now is the wizard who asked them to investigate it was high enough level to do like the spells and stuff that they're looking to do. And he basically said, we tried that. It didn't work. So they didn't even have the opportunity to go and do it because I didn't want to waste a whole bunch of time and be like, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. Because I could see that being frustrating for the party, especially if they're high level and they're thinking, well, I have the spell. And then all of a sudden it doesn't work. So, you know. But you can also give them, like, minor clues with spells. You don't have to completely nerf things and say they won't work. There's lots of ways to do it. And I think just like most things, I, you know, this is the thing. I think that—and I could be wrong. I mean, maybe I would love to get calls from people who, who disagree with this. If I run a module, whether it be a, a smaller module like the old-style modules, or I run more like an adventure path, I'm always making changes for the party, for what's going on, for what we enjoy. So I think that's just what we end up having to do no matter what we run. There might be people that run stuff directly from the book. But I think with Adventure Paths especially, that's how you get the campaign that feels very, very linear to a way that doesn't feel good, at least for me as a player. So, again, I haven't really experienced that. I've been lucky enough to play with some really great people. So... You know, I guess I'm, I'm just lucky. I, you know, you see these horror stories, although I do have a theory that most of these horror stories on Reddit are just people making stuff up. But maybe that's a topic for another podcast. <laughs> in any case, thanks so much, Jason, for calling in. If you have a response, um, direct son about that. I mean, obviously call back. I'd love to hear from you. Anybody else who has a response or has some uh, some high level play experience? I'm not normally playing at super high levels. So for me, it doesn't happen very often. Uh, but I am getting to the point now where uh, if the cleric can get enough cash to to, to research raised dead, they're going to have that raised dead spell. And once they have that, that that does make a big difference in the game, I'm sure. So we'll see where that goes in my OD&D game, and uh, or if you know they they run into Medusa and get turned to stone, and that's the end of the whole thing. <laughs> you never can tell in my games, and in any game, I guess. I'll talk to you soon.